is um, a fantastic leader and a lovely friend. And it's such a pleasure, Annie, to finally um, make you come to my church. <laughs> I've known Annie for quite a long time. We first met um, in New Zealand when I was working out there. Um, and we've sort of stayed in touch ever since, which has been fantastic. So Annie is married to John, and they um, used to lead churches together. They led St. John's Harborn in Birmingham for about 18 years. So if you guys know that church, it was a fantastic church. Um, she was also involved in chaplaincy with a GP surgery, which sort of um, taps into the two sides, the spiritual side. But Annie also has a sort of healthcare background in nursing and in health visiting. So um, she's got some fantastic stories from both and loves sort of the whole um, healing and people coming into fullness side of things. Is that fair, Annie? <laughs> Would you like to come on up? And I think, has Annie got your microphone? Oh, it doesn't work. Okay. Well, you're not having mine. <laughs> I don't share my mic. People know this about me. <laughs> Either mic. Now. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. The old ones are good, aren't they? Can I pray for you, Annie, as we start? Um, so, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Annie. We thank you um, for her insight. We thank you for her wisdom. We thank you for her lovely heart. We thank you for her fun. And we pray that tonight you would um, take all that she's prepared and that it would hit fertile soil in us, Lord. We would take each specific thing you want us to hear, each encouragement, each challenge, um, each whisper. So we bless her tonight, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much. And I will have your mic. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a lovely welcome. Thank you very much. And it is great to be here. And as Beck said, I chose as uh, my, my subject, there is always more. And so I want to say at the outset that you have permission tonight to be greedy. We have a God who loves to bless us a generous God who has good things for us. There's a verse in Romans that says, hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been generously poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And the message version, which I love, puts it like this. We can't round up enough containers for everything that God wants to pour into our hearts. So you've got the message, haven't you? God has abundance to give us. But let's be honest, it doesn't always feel like that. We live in a world of terrorism and financial insecurities and injustices, but I think even more than that, we live in a world of great pressures, and particularly, I think, the pressure to succeed, the pressure to be perfect, to have perfect families. And Facebook, let's face it, doesn't help. Because on Facebook, everybody looks glamorous and as though they're having an exciting time. And, you know, there's that bit inside us that wonders, have we got it wrong? And as women, I think, too, we carry, we, we have many, many different roles. We are daughters, we're mothers, we're wives, we're sisters. 
we are chauffeurs, we're cooks, we are carers, we are career women. And one woman I know, when asked that really difficult question, oh, what do you do, replied rather sharply. She said, the only thing I do full time is to breathe. <laughs> And that's what it sometimes feels like. And no wonder at times we feel we're running on empty. We feel as though we've dried up inside. We're giving out and we're giving out. And that's why God wants to say to us tonight, I have got so much more. You can't actually round up enough containers for everything I want to give to you. And I want to look at two stories of people in the Bible who received more, more than they expected, and they're both women. And the first is a little-known story tucked away in the book of Joshua about a woman called Aksar. Now, Aksar was Caleb's daughter. And Caleb, if you remember, was one of the spies that went out to do a recce of the Promised Land uh, ten of them came back, said, no, there's giants, we're never going to make it. Two of them said, we can do it. And Caleb was one of them. And he had a daughter, Aksa, uh, who I'm sure was the apple of his eye. And when it came to her age to get married, he set a competition for the men who could have his, uh, for the man who would uh, have his daughter's hand. And he said that the man who captured one of the cities that he owned could have his daughter. And Othniel was the lucky man. And so uh, Caleb uh, gave his daughter uh, and her new husband land as a wedding present. Now, Axa was a very shrewd woman because she knew that land on its own uh, wasn't really much good. In Israel, where uh, the climate is dry, you need water to irrigate the land in order that it can be fruitful. And so Axa speaks to her husband and says, you know what, I'm going to ask dad if he'll give us water. And uh, this lovely uh, little story in Joshua 15. Let me read it. It says, uh, so she asked her father when she got off her donkey and Caleb said, what can I do for you? You know, you get the picture here. She knew that she could wrap her father around his little finger. And she replied, dad, do me a special favor. Since you've given me land in the Negev, give me also springs of water. And Caleb said, you can have the upper and the lower springs, twice what you expected. Now, not all of us have got fathers like that. Some of us have had absent fathers, some of us even abusive fathers. But it is a lovely picture of our Heavenly Father who says to us, I want you to be fruitful, I want you to flourish. Ask me for what you need. And we're going to look at that a bit later. Now, the second uh, woman that we're going to look at the story enjoyed none of the benefits that Aksa had. She was a lonely woman. She uh, had experienced a great deal of rejection and self-loathing. And she is, of course, a Samaritan woman. We know the story so well, and I'm not going into detail. She had... Probably since she was very young, known rejection and um, 
neglect and had spent much of her life looking for approval, looking for love, looking for value and worth, and, and looking for it in the wrong places. And I imagine that on the way she had been badly hurt, she had also hurt many people. And she was therefore an outcast in her society, which is why, of course, she came to the well on her own uh, at the time when the sun was at its highest. And there we know the story so well. There is a man at the well already there, none other than Jesus. And Jesus, we know, asks for a drink of water. Now, I guess this woman replied rather scathingly to his request. Because after all, Jesus shouldn't be speaking to a woman. He's a Jew. He shouldn't be speaking to a Samaritan. And this woman is used to men asking for things. And maybe she said, hmm, what are you asking me, a woman and a Samaritan for? And Jesus completely disarms her and says, I'm offering you something that will utterly satisfy you. He says, the water that I give, will never, you will never thirst. Indeed, it will become a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Now, initially, the woman likes the idea of this magic water because it means she won't have to come to the well every day on her own in the midday sun. And she says, yeah, I'd like that water then I won't have to keep coming. But she has entirely missed the point. Because what Jesus is saying to her is, not only will your deepest, innermost needs be met by me, your craving for love, affirmation, acceptance, worth, not only will those be met by what I'm offering you, but you will also become a spring of water to others. You will be somebody who brings transformation to others. Now that's quite something. And then Jesus, as we know, goes on to say to her, I know you, I know all about you. I know that you've had five husbands and the man you're living with isn't your husband. And far from shaming her, far from causing her to feel uh, embarrassed, he's actually saying to her, I know, I know how all your life you've been searching for something that deeply satisfies. I know the wounds you've carried of self-loathing and shame and utter loneliness but I've got something so much better to offer. You will never thirst again, and you'll become a means of transformation for others. And she says, surely you are a prophet. And then we know how the story ends, and I absolutely love this, because she runs back to the village that she'd left as an outcast, despised person, and she goes back to this village, and not only that, but they all come out to listen to what she's got to say. And John writes, 
um, many of the Samaritans believed because of the words of one woman who testified. They're hanging on her every word. Something has changed and they can see it. And they invite Jesus back to the community. And I just want to say to you tonight that one woman who has an encounter with Jesus, one woman who receives more of God's love and power and healing can transform a family, a workplace, a community. Because as we allow God to fill us afresh with all his love, his spirit, we become that well of living water to other people. That's why I think God would say to us, be greedy, not just for yourselves, but that you too will become a well for others. You know, Jesus in his teaching made it very clear that he wants to give us more, more of his love, his power, his peace, his joy, all of his life flowing in us. Do you remember in his teaching, Jesus said, if you who are earthly parents know how to give good gifts, I'm a grandmother now and I love to buy little gifts for my grandchildren. Uh, If you know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? And this he said of the spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The same spirit that lived in Jesus is the spirit that he's offering to us. Again, do you remember when Jesus told the story of the prodigal son? And when the son comes back, uh, there's a party, there's festivities, there's celebrations. And the older brother is really put out. You never did this for me, he said. And his father says, looking him in the eye, everything I have is yours. You could have had it any time. And tonight our Heavenly Father says, everything I have is yours, yours for the asking. Simon Ponsonby, a theologian uh, in his book More, says that we have already received everything in Christ. There is nothing more to be given but there's a whole lot more to be taken. And of course, that begs the question, how do we keep receiving more? And I think the first thing I would say on this is that we have to deal with the disappointments. All of us have met disappointments in our life. Things haven't worked out as we'd hoped. Prayers haven't been answered. Things that we'd longed for haven't come into being. And I believe, you know, it says hope deferred makes a heart grow sick. And I think that disappointments undealt with begin to uh, choke us up. I think disappointment is a very deadening emotion. We become cynical. We become a bit bitter. We become a bit full of self-pity. I say that because I know it. I remember some years ago uh, when John and I were in Birmingham uh, and our our three sons were 
probably at this stage 15, 13, and 9, something like that. And we were going through quite a hard time in the church for various reasons. And, and John, my husband, was working all the hours. And I began to feel that the church was a very demanding mistress and that I was being somewhat neglected. You can see the self-pity that was creeping in. And, uh, and you know, I was just feeling this isn't how I expected it would be. It was a struggle. And at times I felt lonely uh, in the vicarage. And uh, sometimes I felt that, was God really hearing my prayers? Um, and I, at the time, I had a wonderful spiritual director. She was a nun, a woman full of wisdom. Uh, and I, I went to see her. And I, I poured out all that I was feeling at the time, the struggles, the disappointment, uh, the sadness, the self-pity. Out it all came. And I remember clearly she looked me in the eye, and this is what she said to me. Now, I need to remind you, this was said to me by the nun. And she said, Annie, God can take the shit of our lives and turn it into manure. <laughs> now, now, please don't write to Bex and complain that the speaker <laughs> used bad language. You have to write to the nun. <laughs> but I have to say, I loved that. Because it was saying to me, you know, the things that seem so difficult, the things that seem as though um, there's no movement, where there was despair, God was saying, this is the very soil in which wonderful fruits can grow of forgiveness, of hope, of love, of patience, of endurance. I remember saying this to, to a lady when I was working in the surgery who had suffered very bitter betrayal and she just felt she could never trust anyone again. You know, she felt as though her life as she'd known it had come to an end. And I quoted this to her. And she was quiet for a moment. And then she said, you mean the roses can grow again? That's exactly right. And Hosea, the prophet, puts it rather more eloquently when he says that God will turn the valley of trouble into a doorway of hope. You know, and I would just say, don't hang on to those disappointments. We all have them because they erode our spirit and they stop us from receiving the much, much more that God wants to give us. I just want to show you a picture um, that is kind of going to go up on the screen. Some of you might know this picture. There it is. It's uh, by somebody called Frederick Rich. It was hanging in the Louvre. It's not there now because it uh, has uh, been uh, bought by somebody. But it's a picture called Checkmate. And the story of this picture is you can see the devil here playing chess with the believer. The devil is looking somewhat smug because he's actually won. I don't, I'm not a chess player, but checkmate is when the king cannot move. He has been, um, he, he, there's no more moves he can make. And, and the believer is looking somewhat 
downhearted because he's lost. his, His king has been boxed in, he can't move, and the devil here is one, and it's called Checkmate. And the story goes that uh, a uh, world-class um, chess player went to the Louvre and was standing in the museum for a very long time looking at this painting. And suddenly the silence of the art gallery was shattered by this uh, chess champion shouting out, the king has one more move. And he'd studied it hard, and he'd seen that there was one more move. And apparently, if you Google this checkmate, you can read about it. And apparently, he went to the um, owner of the the, uh, Louvre to say, you need to tell the artist to change the name of the painting. The king has one more move. But I just want to say to you tonight that I believe there are some people here who feel they've, they've met a roadblock, an impasse in their life. Something that they've struggled with for a long time that just doesn't seem to have any movement. It might be in your marriage. It might be in family relationships. It might be in your work situation. It might be in some attitude you've struggled with and it just feels there's no change there's no movement and I believe that God wants you to hear tonight the king has one more move that God would say I am the God of the so much more come come to me Because there is no situation that I cannot transform and move. And I believe that if we are to go on to receive more of all that God wants to give us, we need to come to God with our disappointments, with our self-pity, with our anger, with our hurt, and just pour it out before God. That's what the psalmist did. To read some of the psalms, the the psalmist is pouring out complaint and anger and despair. Why are my enemies uh, doing well when I'm not? Why am I feeling so discouraged and so disheartened? And he pours out to God. And then he comes to the conclusion, but I will hope in God again. And I think it's important that we learn to rage our rage and shed our tears in the presence of a loving Heavenly Father. And just like a child thumping at its father's chest when it's angry, we fall into our Heavenly Father's arms. And he says, come, come. You've let it go. Now I want to show you how I can transform how I can heal, how I can give you strength and grace and hope. God is the God of the so much more. A friend of mine I remember saying to me, it seems to me that all God's blessings come come wrapped up in wet handkerchiefs. And I think there's something in that. Through our tears, we pour it out to God 
And then we say, now God, you act. And the God of the so much more will do so. So firstly, we have to deal with our disappointments because otherwise we cannot receive the more that God wants to give us. And secondly, I want to say that we press in for more. Where is it that you would like to see breakthrough in your own life? What vision has God put into your heart that you're willing to trust God for and to wait? Some of you might know of a retreat center called Faldi Brennan in Wales. Hands up if you know. Yes, quite a few of you do. It's a, it's a wonderful retreat center. Uh, but I knew the, uh, the lady, Philida, who first had the vision for this retreat center. Um, probably about 30 years ago, she was in High Wycombe, where, where we were. And I remember she said to me, um, I've got, God's given me a vision in my heart to have a retreat center in Wales. She'd grown up in Wales, where people can come and find God's healing and God's love and God's restoration. Now, at the time... Her husband was working for the, for the World Bank. He was working abroad. He didn't share this vision at all. They were in no way on the same page. She didn't really, he didn't really even share her, her faith. So the likelihood of this going to happen seemed very, very small. But what Philida did, she wrote this vision on a piece of paper which she cut out in the shape of an egg. And she showed it to me. She put it in her Bible and she said, Annie, I'm putting it there to hatch. And there it stayed in her Bible. And, and the years went on when it looked even less likely. Her husband was not interested and uh, it, it just looked as though it wasn't going to happen. Seven years later, her husband came back from having been abroad working and they were on holiday in Wales. And uh, Philida had been praying all this time. Her husband had caught hold of the vision. And uh, they were driving through Wales. And they found this old remote farmhouse uh, that I can't say it in Welsh, but it was something like sick bank, something like that, which means dry riverbed. And Philida said, that's it. And I will rename it Faldi Brennan, the King's Sheepfold. And so over the next few years, it was uh, built to a beautiful standard. And we used to go there very regularly. And it was indeed a place of prayer. And more recently, it has seen a wonderful work, really, of outpouring of prayer and healing. There's a book written about it called Grace Outpoured. Thank you, Grace Outpoured. And um, I, I, when we were in Birmingham, I was meeting with a group of doctors who'd come up from Devon to hear about the work of chaplaincy in the um, practice. And there were, there were seven of these doctors. And one of the doctors um, was, was speaking very loudly, almost shouting to, to uh, one of the other doctors. And she said, remember, you don't have to shout to me now. And then she turned to me and said, I'd better explain. But she said, I have been profoundly deaf. 
And uh, I drove down to Falter Brennan because I wanted to find healing and I wanted to find the presence of God. And she said, as I got out of the car and stood in the car park, the presence of God fell upon me and I was healed and I can hear. And you know, tears sprang to my eyes because I remembered that all those years ago, this started off as just a little seed thought written down on a piece of paper in the shape of an egg. And there's a verse in Ephesians at the end of that wonderful prayer that has to be one of my favorite verses. Now unto God, who's able to do far more than we ask or imagine according to his work, according to his power at work in us. Now, I just want to read to you uh, Tom Wright, who's a, a theologian. In his commentary, this is what he writes about this verse, and I love it. Listen, he says, this is what he says. Think what God might do in you and through you, you as an individual and you as a community. Now reflect on the fact that God is perfectly capable of doubling that, trebling that, going so far beyond it that you would look back at the present moment and wonder how you could be so short-sighted. What dreams are God, is God giving to you for your family, for your workplace, for your community, for your church, that you are willing to trust God for and to wait? Martin Luther said, uh, dream things with God so big they are doomed to failure unless God is in them. And the thing that I want to, you to get hold of tonight is that we have a generous, abundant God who wants to lavish his love and his life in us, not only for our good, but for our good, but also so that we become a spring that overflows. But we have to press in. We have to be willing to wait and to pray and to keep going. I want to tell you a story from my own family. That uh, uh, I have three sisters and an older brother. And very sadly, uh, my older brother, uh, his marriage broke up. And his son, who was 17 at the time, uh, said, Dad, I'm never going to see you again. And, and that has been the case. And my nephew is 39 now and has never seen his parents since. He walked out of the house. Actually, he was 19 uh, when he, he um, finally walked out of the house. And uh, I have a mother who's in a nursing home, very frail. She's 97. She's paralyzed from the neck down. Uh, and I visit her every fortnight. And we have prayed uh, each time for Danny that he would be restored to the family. 
And I remember sometime, a, a few months ago, my mother said to me, um, I, I don't think that I will see Danny in my lifetime, but I'm absolutely sure that uh, God has heard my prayers and Danny will be restored. Well, a few weeks, actually, that she said that a few months ago, and uh, a few weeks after that, I went down to see my mother again, and she said to me, Annie, guess who came to see me? And Danny, now married, but we didn't know, and his two children came to visit my mother. And he hasn't seen his parents yet, but we believe that will be the case. But that was 19 years of persevering prayer. Now, it won't always be that long for all of us, but I'm just saying that persistent, persevering prayer, we will see things we never imagined. And that's why it's so important that we as women are greedy for more of God's power and love and healing and transformation in our own lives so that we can be a spring for others. And I believe God is saying, don't give up on your prayers for your friends, for your family, for your colleagues. Keep praying and trusting God. When I was in Birmingham, I uh, was asked to see a Hindu lady. Um, she was very beautiful, um, but she uh, would wake up in the night and find she'd pulled out clumps of hair, uh, and it was lying on the pillow because of uh, an inner stress that she was feeling. And uh, she wanted to be an actress, but she, her, her family wouldn't allow her. She was working for her father. Um, and I talked a lot to her about uh, the love of God and, uh, you know, the work of, of, of Jesus to save and change lives. And we often talked, and, and I prayed with her. Um, and then we moved away, and I lost touch. Three weeks ago, I got a phone call out of the blue from, from this person to say, Annie, would you come to my baptism? She said, I did eventually move to London. I am now working as an actress, and I've joined a church, and I'm being baptized. Would you come? Sadly, I couldn't go. But, you know, again, you know, God is at work in places we have no idea. Ask God for big things. Press in for the more. Because God has so much more to give us. And I believe that as we come to God on our knees, willing to say to God, I do carry disappointments. I have become dry and empty. My heart has become hard. But I'm giving that to you. I'm trusting you with that. He will lavishly pour his love and healing and hope into our lives. We will be changed. God is usually not in the hurry that we are in. But nevertheless, God is at work in ways we have no idea. Changing us restoring us, empowering us.
and causing us to be women so confident in who we are, beloved daughters of the king, that we overflow to other people. You know, that's why we're here, to say we want more. To say the king has one more move to bless, heal, restore. And we're going to have an opportunity now uh, to, to offer prayer. And Bex is going to come and do that. But again, I just say to you, be greedy. God is here. The God who loves us more than we could ever know. The God who knows us just as well as he knew that Samaritan woman. The God who says to us, I know how you've been searching for love, for affection, for approval, for worth, for contentment. He says you can look as hard as you like outside, but it won't last. I can give you the living water that will satisfy and cause you to be a spring of living water to others.